Good day, I'm Amanda Dollinschick and you're listening to Anne on Influence. The podcast name might have changed, but we still talk all things influence with our guests. In this episode, we chat to Bradley Hall, MD at PhD South Africa. Having worked in a wide variety of industries, he looks at most things marketing and media with varied lenses. He tells us about a big rugby star that influences clothing choices as a teen, how without resonance influence marketing is just another brand ad, and how simple ideas are generally the best ones. Enjoy. If you enjoy this podcast, you will also enjoy our fortnightly newsletter that keeps you up to date with influencer news from around the world. Subscribe at the link in the show notes. This podcast series has been made possible through an exclusive sponsorship from SA's number one nano-influencer platform, The Salt. Most brands have a communication line to their existing customers, but not a way to get them to have additional positive brand conversations. The Salt solves the problem by identifying brand fans and getting them to talk more about their positive brand experiences. The Salt have a database of over 140,000 registered brand fans and in-depth information on each to perfectly match your brand to the right influencers. Reach out to them now and see what they can do for you. Good afternoon, Bradley. Thank you so much for making the time to join us today. I know that before you became the MD at PhD Africa, or South Africa rather, you worked mainly really much in the digital world. So I'm really curious for you to tell us a little bit more about yourself and also about your journey in the digital world. Yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, thanks, Anne. Thanks for, for having me. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, recently, obviously appointed MD um, at PhD in South Africa, uh, and and yes, I was in the digital world beforehand. Uh, actually, have a qualification in sports marketing and in digital marketing, so um, I, t- I ticked that box. Um, but I, I actually don't come from a traditional media or marketing background. It's a little bit more diverse than that. I, I think I believe that's kind of helped me, you know, look at things differently uh, since getting into media. So, you know, my, my career kind of started in, in logistics, funny enough, um, and then into insurance. I know it's quite a weird, quite a weird step. Uh, and then I finally made it into media, uh, where I was, um, on the sales side from, from an out of home perspective, which was quite an, an interesting introduction to, to the, the media world. Um, I did miss the, the, it was 2010, I did miss the 2010 World Cup from a media perspective, which I think would have been amazing, but nonetheless. So yeah, out of home and then um, got a, a fantastic opportunity to join a, a reseller in, in South Africa um, who did a lot of the Yahoo products when, when Yahoo was still a thing and and then um, went on to a couple of other digital sales houses before I bumped into Wayne Bishop who who kindly uh, took a chance on me um, and 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 allowed me to join PhD it's been quite a uh, an, an amazing time um, since since I started in in 2016. Um, and yeah, it's obviously culminated now in, in being appointed as the, the, the new MD to actually succeed Wayne. So yeah, uh, very, very uh, proud about that. So. so Bradley, that is amazing. And huge congratulations again on becoming MD of PhD South Africa. And I always think, like you say, you had a varied career within the broader sense of our industry. And that always gives you fresh perspective, fresh eyes, because you're not really boxed in. To, to what the perception is of what you're doing right now. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I definitely agree. Um, so I, I, I would say I, I take a non-traditional look at things and probably have a, a different set of eyes. Um, sometimes, you know, not <laughs> not something that, uh, that that everyone kind of likes, but it, yep. it is what it is. And, you know, we have to challenge each other and we have to ask questions. And I think the industry is better off if we carry on doing that. So, uh, like, I'm, I'm quite comfortable where I'm at, at in doing that. So, yeah. I think it, it, it puts me in a in a different position, which is which is great. No, I completely agree with that. So today we're obviously talking about influencer marketing, and I always intrigued to know from my guests when is the very first time you can remember actually becoming aware of this marketing channel, and what what did that look like? Great question, because I had to rack my brain, um, <laughs> and, and being an ex rugby player, um, taking too many shots to the head doesn't allow me to think very far back, but. Uh, in my in my in my youth, uh, I was a massive James Small fan, the ex Springbok rugby player. I mean, obviously, I'm a sports lover. I was heavily involved in rugby, and I did have my ambitions of being a Springbok in my day. And I still clearly remember he had an endorsement with the brand uh, called No Fear. From a from a from a my perspective, I, n- I naturally needed to own that brand. And, and I did manage to, to pick up some, some t-shirts from a shop, um, where, where the mark is now. It used to be called Village Walk. Um, and, and I think that was probably my first involvement from an influencer marketing perspective. Although I had no idea what that even meant and what it referred to. Um, so it was kind of just, it organically happened. But thinking back to those days, um, I could probably quite comfortably say that was influencer marketing. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's funny because I ask every single guest this question and every single time people say that's celebrity endorsement or a sportsman endorsement. Mm-hmm. And that's literally where the evolution started from where we are today. And like you say, we didn't even know what it was back then. We just saw our favorite celebs wear a piece of clothing and it influenced us because we wanted to be cool like them and we yeah. wanted to be on the same level as them. And that was like a little piece of them we, we could have. Thinking back now from there, did you ever think that influencer marketing would like become a thing to, to where it is today, like a legitimate marketing channel? Um, I mean, again, obviously I was, uh, I was way too naive and way too young to even have a first impression, you know, but it, the, the endorsement, you know, it, it played its role. Um, it resulted in, in sales well, definitely from me, I suppose, from loads of other fans as well. Loads so, yeah. So, and, and, and I mean, when I look at it now, you know, it was, it was pre social media days. You know, we had no idea how this influencer space could evolve into, into where we find ourselves currently in terms of like access to information and the ability to reach a particular audience with an, an influencer. Um, so yeah, it was, I mean, I don't think I, I didn't have an idea of what it was and I didn't have an idea of what it would be today, um, but it definitely had played its part. Speaking of the days that's gone by when you were youngsters pre-social media, I think there's a lot of people who don't even know what a pre-social media age was. Yeah. If you cast your mind back to maybe the last year or two, yeah. is there any influencer campaigns that you that really stood out for you and, and why? So I, I even, like I, did, I try to do a bit of research on this even. And, and, and to be honest, I'm actually not, I'm not on social media a whole lot. I know it's like shock horror, right. a media person not on social media. 
Um, I do obviously get onto it, but I, I don't spend like hours and hours on it. So yeah. I'm not exposed to a hell of a lot of um, local influencer campaigns. But I, like I, I thought about this long and hard, and I, and, and I, from from our perspective, obviously, you know, influencer marketing it, it's not a new thing for us. Um, and it was invented way before things like Instagram and, and, and Facebook, as we've obviously spoken about already. Um, and, you know, I, like, I'll get to my point now, but like, like a brand like Adidas were, were influential, like way back in the 1950s. Um, and I actually just finished reading a book about them, um, called Pitch Invasion, just in terms of how they sort of segmented themselves in the market and cemented themselves as the, as the top brand in, in the world. And, and their whole thing was around endorsing athletes. And these athletes obviously were then photographed wearing or holding the three stripes. And that was kind of how they sort of ran their influencer marketing campaigns as such way back in the 1950s. So this is like way before anything, you know. As I alluded to earlier, um, you know, we had local sports stars endorsing brands in pretty much the same way. Um, and they were just leveraging their influence in, uh, and power to, to persuade customers to buy. Um, and James Moore was one, no fear brand. I don't know if you can cast your, your mind back to Bobby Skinstead sporting a tongue ring to, to, to push a jewelry brand. So, you know, that, that, you know, that for me is, that's kind of what I remember. Um, I haven't seen anything like I've, I mean, nothing that's really caught the eye. So it sounds like you very much, um, see a lot of macro influence marketing more like it, like your sports stars. So that's very interesting. So I would love to know your thoughts on the smaller types of influencers, like your micro niche influencers and your nano influencers. Where do you see them then fit into the to this eco ecosystem of influence? I, I, again, I'm very fortunate to have actually worked on campaigns where we've used a, a range of different of different influences. I, I'm I'm not I'm not on the. I, I don't want to say I'm, I'm against the, the macro use of, of, of the influencer base, um, but I just prefer the more personal interactions that we have with the, the, the nanos who obviously are like you and me in terms of they, they everyday consumers. And, you know, they're able to have, and I mean, there's always this thing about authenticity and whatever, and we can sprout about that for days, but yeah. I just think they, 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 that it's 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 like a friend giving you a recommendation, and I think that's so. I, I'm 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 probably leaning more towards them, um, and than 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 the macros who probably also harder to manage, you know, harder to 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 get like really good content out of. Um, but you know, and and obviously have their own, you know, I don't want to, for the lack of a better word, egos to to <laughs> sort of to have to stroke. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so for me, I'm, I'm kind of sort of the bottom end of the, of the influencer range in terms of like size of following and stuff like that, rather than the top end for, for those reasons. Yeah, look, you just said a, a big word that we use these days, right? Authenticity. And I feel like it gets thrown around so much to a point where it's become a bit of a swear word. But if you actually look at it as essence, that's exactly why your smaller influencers work so well. And you said it so well. It is like a friend recommendation because at the end of the day, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. 
it is your brand fans who's been using it for years or already loves the brand who's going to tell you. I mean, you'll be the perfect Mofia ambassador at this point. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no one else will know about it except my age group. <laughs> and my age group. We're probably the same age group. <laughs> but I remember those endorsements. And it's, it's exactly like people like you and I who can now take our word of mouth off from offline to online and say guys you know what back in the 90s when i was a teenager this was the bomb jiggity yep. let's bring yep. it back yeah where macro influencers i agree it they still have their, their place it all depends on what your objectives are but they are quite costly per piece of content and also i, I don't really know how much they influence really i feel like they create mass awareness which is yep. great if that's what you want but if I see my favorite celeb on Instagram talking about something, will I really go and investigate it? Probably not. But if I see a Bradley on LinkedIn telling me about something or on Instagram stories about his, where he ate last night with his family, I'll probably be like, oh, let me try that one next time. Yeah. I, su I suppose as you, as, you, as you mature and you get a little bit older, you, I wouldn't say you're skeptical, but you also, you, you're, not, you're, not, you're not believing a lot of things. So, you, again, you're looking out for that more personable sort of interaction rather than uh, say for instance someone who is a fan of someone of, of like a, a sports star like I was back in the day it's like oh my word like James Moore could, could do no wrong but if he had to well okay sadly unfortunately he's no longer with us but if he had to endorse something now I'd be like I'd ask a few questions you know as to as to who's paying the bills. <laughs> but I think it's also back then your sports stars or your celebs didn't endorse like so many products. Like yeah. your your favorite racket player was a Nofi ambassador, probably was a Nofi ambassador, and that was probably his main yeah. um, kind True. of sponsorship. Where today I feel like you go on social media and every week these celebs are punting something yeah. new. And I think that also makes us a little bit asking more questions or a bit more skeptical and also just social media i mean we now have access to like millions of peers yeah. so why would people like hone focus on, on one yeah so i don't exactly. think we, we're more skeptical i think we just have more information available no i mean it's a, i think i think it's a valid point and i mean you know working with brands and and this conversation comes up and you you said um you know that the, the more the more celebrity type influencers they they kind of they move around to who's paying the most money, you know? And, and I think we sat in a conversation in a, it was in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, one of the brands we work on Volkswagen, and it was, yes, we want to do influencer marketing and this is the guy we want to use. And I'm going, okay, so have you asked him like, what, <laughs> what, what car does he drive? First of all. So like, let's, let's be upfront, you know, if he's a Volkswagen driver, great fit because he can actually speak about the brand that he already owns. Yes, we might get in, him into something a little bit more sort of, of a little bit newer and, and fashionable. But at the end of the day, he's in his best place to have a conversation with someone because he is already an owner of that particular product. So, like, surely that's what we should be questioning up front because one minute you're doing something for VW, the next you're doing something for Mercedes. I, 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 it doesn't resonate, you know. So, but I, again, I might not be the target audience. <laughs> no, I think you've got it spot on. And it's all about that residency. And I think also to your point, we also sit in a lot of meetings where clients are like, oh, I want this. I want to do these influences. And they throw out all these names. And it's always like really big followings. 
And I think that's also where we come in to educate, like you did, like, hold on, let's just see if it actually makes sense. Mm -hmm. Also, who's the target market you want to speak to, right? Do do that actually speak to them? And then my process is always like, take all the steps back. Let's first look at your objectives, who you're speaking to, which platforms, and then right at the end of your strategy, then let's pick names because let's see what makes sense. Exactly. So Bradley, we already know that you were influenced as a teenager to buy some no fair t-shirts. I think I had some board shorts at some point. There we go. <laughs> and I was also heavily influenced by the Roxy influencers. Uh, I had Roxy everything. <laughs> but in your adult life, since influence marketing is alive and well and social media and you're aware of it, have you been influenced over the last couple of years? Um, I I would say yes. I mean, I can. It's quite a long story. Um, <laughs> so I would say the short answer is yes, and I, I'll, I'll tell you like in in what way. Maybe, maybe it wasn't to to purchase anything, but it'll it'll make sense. There is a guy on Instagram. Um, his name is Ross Edgley. Um, I, I would, I'd look him up if I was you. Yeah. Uh, he, he's an adventurer and a, and a swimmer. And he, he's actually got the, he's got the record for the longest sea swim in the world. Amazing. So you can imagine this. You're probably checking out on Instagram at the moment, but he is in very good shape. All right. Um, sure. And he has, he has some endorsements with, uh, with, with clothing and nutrition companies. And one of the clothing companies that he endorsed, actually, it's only one clothing company and one nutrition company. And one of them is, is a brand called Gymshark. Which I know is, about Gymshark. Yeah. Yes. It's kind of, it's kind of new to the, to the, to the, the fitness industry, but it's, it's making waves. Um, and it's got a super innovative owner. Um, and obviously I know the brand. So that, stuck out for me and, and made me sort of notice. So they I see Ross Edgley, um, like eight pack, um, Gymshark clothing. And I'm like, sure, but you know, this, this, this is really sticking out for me. And I wouldn't mind owning, uh, uh, some of the, the, the clothing that he's, that he's obviously showcasing. And although he, um, like references these products and endorses them in most of his posts, I mean, I, I, I noticed that the person and then I read about, you know, Gymshark and I think PhD actually funny enough is the nutrition company. But the one thing that really sort of piqued my interest and wasn't because I'm a, a fanboy of, of, of automotive, but he did a paid partnership that, uh, with BMW and it was just, it was so simple. It was him, um, with a post and he was basically resting on the car, tying a shoelace and it just, I don't know, the creative and everything just sort of stood out for me. And like, I now follow him on Instagram. So, and I see what he's up to and I see his adventures. I see what he eats. I see, you know, how he looks after himself. So from my own personal perspective, like, obviously I uh, also want, it's not that I aspire to be like him, but he's a fit guy. He looks after himself. And that's something that resonated with me and something that I would obviously like to try and sort of emulate in a way. I mean, it's not like I wasn't doing it anyway, but it gives you a little bit of, a little bit of confidence and a little bit of like yeah. the go to like, okay, well, I'm seeing what he's eating. I'm seeing how he's training. So like I do train and I do eat well. That, thank you to my wife. But, um, <laughs> but you know, for me, that's why that kind of stood out in like from an influence perspective on social media. Bradley, I almost thought you were going to tell me you bought a BMW. 
No. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I don't have BMW um, um, taste or money, so I'm much more practical. I'm obviously having a, a large family, so I've got to fit everyone in. <laughs> I, honestly, I was like, oh, my gosh, you got influence in the most biggest way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, now Brad's a big dick because he drives a BMW. <laughs> and you don't use your indicators. <laughs> <laughs> No, but that's amazing because that is a form of influence, yeah. right? And the, Ross is obviously doing something right. Yeah. And he's obviously also staying true to himself, having one clothing that he endorses, one nutrition brand that he endorses. Yeah. He's not all over the place. And yeah. I'm sure that also plays a big part for you as well. Yeah. It's not every week it's like he has an endorsement, he has an endorsement. It is literally he's living the brands, or he's living in the brands yeah. that, that he endorses. And I think some of these macro influences are amazing. Like if you are an adventurous person and like you say, you like to look after yourself, that is definitely someone that's giving you some motivation when you yeah. see in the morning his Instagram posts. And he also said something really interesting where you're saying his endorsements are really, really simple yeah. and it's not as convoluted. And I love that because I also always feel like the, the marketing solution that's going to have the most impact is those simple real life moments. We're not trying to have him stand on, do a handstand on the car. He's literally just tying shoelaces like yeah. a normal person does. It's probably just in a beautiful location. Yeah. It, it, actually, it actually was now that you mention it. I think it had, a, it had an amazing backdrop. Um, I can't remember where it was, but yes, it was. Um, like super simple. But again, I th like you said, macro. And like in, in fairness, he could have been anybody that they just it was just shot right um he, like he knows he knows what he needs to do so he's a pro at that as well but exactly. it, it didn't have to be a macro and i mean i didn't have a clue who he was before that so it's not like he was famous and now he is you know exactly who he is <laughs> now i know who he is <laughs> whether he's famous or not i don't know i'm gonna, I'm gonna see what his following's like <laughs> but i also think that's another thing that we we as marketers sometimes get completely hung up on is that number of followers yeah and it's also part of my job to educate our clients going like it doesn't matter it really doesn't matter how many followers it depends on what impact they have on their followers yeah um, and also does it align with who you're talking to so that's again come back to your micro nano thing is they have so much more sway with their audiences purely because it's much more intimate it's much smaller there's that accessibility and that relatability, and I'd much rather reach the 15% of what the algorithm is going to give me of a, someone who's got 3,000 followers, yeah. and they're all going, oh, I need to check that out, I'm going to click through to that link, then have a Bonang who has got millions and millions of followers, but I might not influence 1% of them. Yeah. And I think that's also where we need to also start differentiating between the different tiers. It's not all about the followings. I know yeah. back in the day, we'd be like up to like a thousand followers, your nanos, and then get your micros up to 10. But it also depends on what niche are they in. Like someone mm. who's in a super specialized niche is probably a macro influencer with 400 followers. Yeah, exactly. Um, and influence all of them. Where, yeah. And I'm sure Ross probably has millions of followers because he does all these amazing adventures that we all dream about doing. <laughs> Hashtag no filter. That's how this podcast is delivering real down to earth stories told by real people. For an influencer campaign that takes brand conversation to everyday real life situations, go check out thesalt.co.za. They are the undisputed experts in real influencer marketing. 
Yeah, I, I, I would guess that there are not many male followers for him at the moment, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be surprised. It's probably men like you who's like, you know what, when I'm not sitting behind my computer, that's what I want to be doing. <laughs> yeah, one day. <laughs> we can always one dream. <laughs> <laughs> so when you look at our South African landscape of influencer marketing, we know that we're obviously a couple of years behind when it comes to, to the bigger like the US, the UKs, the Europe's. But do you think we ultimately get into that groove and we align with the trends from these bigger markets? And, and is that necessarily a good thing for us? Yeah, um, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting question. Um, and, and I think, like if you mentioned that the US and the UK, I think, yes, we're probably behind in terms of scale because we just don't have the populations. I mean, we don't have 350 million people like the US have. Um, so it probably puts us behind in, in that, in that aspect. But again, you know, social media is a global thing now. So, you know, if, if you resonate with someone, it doesn't matter where they are. Um, but obviously if you, if you, if you are operating with local brands, then it makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I, I don't think we're behind because we live in Africa. Um, it, it's not as bad as that, you know, I think the main reason behind that is that we have, we have so much like access to information at our fingertips that we are able to stay up to date. There isn't, you know, there's nothing that we miss, you know, the, the latest trend, the latest this, the latest whatever. And we're able to like jump onto that quite quickly. So I don't believe that, I don't believe I could be completely wrong, but I don't believe we're behind in terms of what we are doing in the, the actual influencer space. Um, and uh, like, I thought about it quite a bit and I, I don't know if it had happened before or not, but I think we were quite early in the use of like the, the nano influencers, like the, the, the everyday person in the street. Um, it might not have happened in the social space, but I, like in terms of using like nanos to obviously seed a product or speak about a product and, you know, because it gives you that recommendations that are coming from a friend. I, like I didn't see anything beforehand so I'm not really sure so it's a big guess but I think we were we probably quite early in that from a South African perspective and I also don't feel like we need to always think because we're like south of everyone else that we're not at the forefront of certain things because I think we'll be pleasantly surprised that we we are in some in some aspects probably ahead because we have very different nuances which aren't applicable anywhere in the world. I think you're completely right especially with that Yep. And that's also what I, I love about South Africa. Our landscape is definitely, we're not lagging in trends, but we're also creating new ones just yeah. purely because of we've got completely different, I want to call it flavor because we do. We've got yeah. so many cultures and languages and there's just like trends emerging from left, right and center. Exactly. Yeah. So, and then you, you, I mean, obviously you said is, uh, is it a good thing or, or, or a bad thing if we are behind the trends. Um, and, and I don't think it really matters. I mean, South Africans can make a good thing out of a bad thing. Fact. All the time. You know? <laughs> so, so we are extremely resourceful individuals. Um, and, and I think so for me is like, if there's a trend or an innovation that happens in another market, I can guarantee you we'll pick up on it. We'll add our own little spin to it because it has to fit in with South Africans. Otherwise, Correct. it's dead in the water. 
Um, you know, we don't take something like in its shape and form and just go, let's just plug it in somewhere else. We will put our own little South Africanism on it and it will work in our market as a result of that and probably nowhere else. Again, like we need to be positive about not just the influencer, but industry, but in the media industry in its, in its entirety that, you know, we are at the forefront in some aspects and we mustn't sell ourselves short. Oh, I completely agree with you. And sometimes when we are lagging a little bit in, in the international trends, I think it's a really good thing yeah. because sometimes those trends backfire big time or it just doesn't work. And then we like, oh, but we can learn from that and just completely sidestep that, which is yeah. amazing. I think for us, and I mean, I think you work with brands, I work with brands. I think it's also to provide an education to the brands and the brand teams that we work with in terms of going, can we just... Should we just hold on a little bit before we take a step here? Because we, you know, it's not that we don't want to. It's just like, but why are we doing this? Where are we going with it? Rather than, oh, I want to do this and please make it go viral. You know, it's oh, like, you know, like, yeah, rather just, <laughs> rather just hold, hold the phone, to, you know, take a moment, work out like what is the right strategic direction to go in? You know, is it right for the brand? Is it the right fit? Is it what you're trying to communicate? Or are you now all over the place? And I think that's our, that the onus is on us to have those conversations with those brands and almost keep them in check a little bit in terms of like wanting to capitalize on, on global trends or global innovation or something like that, because sometimes we jump in a little bit too quickly. 100%. And then there's always one thing that becomes like the flavor of the month. And then every single client wants to jump on it. And it is, like you say, that step back, like, will it serve your brand? Why are we doing this? Or are we just joining the fad? Yeah. And I think the for me, lately, the biggest one is TikTok. TikTok is amazing. But I still believe that with every platform there is, you don't need to be on every platform and you yeah. shouldn't be on every platform. It's not needed. But it's the same with TikTok. Not everyone should be on TikTok and not everyone can be on TikTok. So a lot of times, you, and to your point, make us go viral. It's like, you can't really make us <laughs> go viral. It just happens. You just need to be in the right cultural moment at the right yeah. time. And, yeah. and it happens. But it is. And, and you get into these meetings and the first thing that goes like, oh, we want to be on TikTok. And you're like, that's amazing. But what's your messaging? Do you have something that will work well on TikTok? Yeah. So it just, I 100% agree with you. It's also, we aren't just taking briefs, but we're also the consultants. Yeah, exactly. Where do you think influencer marketing will be in the next five years? And I know that means like a million years in media, mm -hmm. but what do you think or what, would, what do you wish it might turn into and yeah. where it would head? Look, it, it could be six months for all we know. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, so look, I think, I think, you know, I mean, just in terms of what I've been exposed to and, and seen and heard about and, and, and formulated like my own opinions is, so I think obviously number one technology is going to play a massive role in the influencer space for the foreseeable future. Um, we are, I mean, we're already seeing these sort of shifts starting to happen and you're probably well aware, but the rise of CGI influences is, is, a, is one technology advancement that's already sort of happening at the moment. Um, you know, you don't even need, you don't need a personality. You don't need a person. You don't have to deal with 
with with with anybody influencers being designed in studios and and then used in social media channels who would have thought um so no and millions of followers yeah. who would have thought <laughs> yeah. no need for for physical people anymore you don't you know so i don't know if i'm, I'm i don't know if i'm sold on that i, I don't think it's I don't think it's something that I would sort of buy into, but it's happening. So you have to be cognizant of it. And then, you know, how do we, how do we kind of, how do we formulate an opinion on it? Uh, and I mean, we've spoken about this now a few times in the conversation. The, the, the continual rise, I, like, I wanted to call it this, continual rise of nano influences over celebrities. And I, like, I just think that, and, and, and yes, I want, we can use the, the phrase, authenticity but i just think that 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 level of influence it just provides a brand with just a more like your mom speaking to you type voice just something that gives you a, a surety um and that the consumers can trust and resonate with i think that will continue to rise i don't know what that looks like and the shape of it but i think the the, the use of influ- nano influences who we can have Brands can have a personable relationship with, so they understand the nuances of the brands and they can go out and do what they need to do over putting out broad briefs to to some of these technology platforms where anyone can pick it up and you don't know what they what they've worked on, what they're doing, et cetera, et cetera. So just a more controlled environment from from a brand's perspective. Um, over trying to deal with maybe macros and, and celebrities who you know who are potentially hopping from brand to brand, and then you, you did mention this earlier, Anne, and about like yes, we you know we, we don't want to be across all platforms, but I do think that there might be a move towards influencers having touch points across multiple platforms, just because it might make it easier to reach consumers um, because they might not go onto certain platform so you want to use the influencer but you know they they have different audiences that sit across and 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 they definitely will be you know tiktok as opposed to twitter as opposed to facebook and instagram they're very different audiences and people go there for very different things so it might mean the creation of content that resonates for each platform was right fit for purpose for each platform but at least it then gives us who are who are who are kind of pitching to clients the opportunity to cover multiple channels obviously help us, you know, reach the right audiences with, you know, the right message. So I, I haven't seen it yet where you have influencers working across multiple and they usually jump onto the, the main platforms of the time at any, at any given point. So yeah, I suppose that's my next five years in, you know, or six months for we know. So. Maybe two months. Maybe two know. months. We don't really know, you know. So it's very hard to predict five years in a in a digital space as well, you know, with everything moving so quickly. No, for sure. And I think you raised some really good points. The the virtual influencers it's so on the rise, and I also I keep an eye on them, and they just have massive followings. Yeah. And and I'm I'm like you. I'm a, maybe it's I'm not the target, but I'm also like they they're not real. Like how are they influencing me? But I do think there's obviously there's obviously a market for them, mm-hmm. whether that's that's the younger guys. But I also feel to your other kind of prediction with this rise of more and more nano influences that that human interaction can never kind of fully be replaced. Yeah. You still need a real person to tell you, I've actually used this, I love it. 
you should give it a go. Yeah. So absolutely agree with that. And then your third point of having the different touch points or iterations of the same content, but packaged differently on different platforms, I think it's really interesting. And I think that is probably where we're going to tap into those different markets. And you're right, uh, as you were speaking, I was thinking if I've actually seen it where we're actually briefing influencers to do one style or one piece of content on Instagram and maybe repackaging it so it works for TikTok as well. And I think that's really interesting and and would make content also, for lack of a better word, more interesting and authentic. Because we also see a lot of not just influencers, but brands take the same piece of content and spread it across. Uh, And that doesn't always work or resonate with that platform. Yeah, I think it's a, it's, I mean, it's not, it's a common thing, not just in the influencer space in terms of taking a piece of content and just pushing it wherever you need to, you know, and then it's like, again, I don't want to use like buzzwords, but it's like fit for purpose, right for the platform, you know, you know, shot in the right way so that, you know, your, your, your browsing experience, wherever it may be is, is uninterrupted in a way because you used to, what's actually happening there, you know? Um, 100%. So, so and yeah, I mean, it, I think it's just an interesting space and I think, you know, I think there's there's opportunity there. Uh, how we unlock that, I don't really know right now, but I, I, I do think there is opportunity. I 100% agree with you. So then do you think that influence marketing is a nice to have or, or kind of a must have at this point? I think it's really dependent on 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 the brand and and, and what they, the budgets they have available to utilize. So we're always dependent on on budgets, but I do believe that there's there's there are there are benefits to to influencer marketing. You know, especially in in the in the nano space where you probably have really good content creators and 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 brands have a historical problem with creating content and multiple pieces of content. Yes, they can do one thing well, but we are we are facing challenges in in the creative development side of things. So I think using like multiple nanos who you can who can create really good content, that content can be used multiple times for a period of time if you can get the the, the agreements right with the nanos is is a is a real plus for the industry. So you know, I would always say, it, like for instance, like a brand that has limited budgets, or they're unable to develop multiple assets, even if they do have budgets, um, then I think influencer marketing will be a huge benefit for them. So they really need to evaluate where they where they sit and what they're trying to do. Because you know, for me, it's like we're in the media side; we distribute content. Sometimes we're distributing one piece of content for six months. It's super difficult. Um, because creative fatigue actually is a thing. Um, it's not just something that people write about. It happens, um, and we get bored and tired of things. So if you had a really strong influencer plan, you would have regular content coming in that you can utilize, repurpose, use in different platforms, like really provide media with a good chance of, of some sort of campaign success as a result. So. No, for sure. And I think that's also a very valid point that we always point out to our clients as well. It's not just a piece of content on Instagram or Facebook. It's, it's if you like say, if we have those rights, you can literally use that across your, your collateral. And that can be a really good digital billboard. It can be a really good print ad. It could, 
like you say, just like different touch points yeah. and just makes it a lot more exciting as well in the long run. Yeah, we did a, I mean, we did a, uh, I mean, this was a really far out campaign. So we re- we were trying to showcase the Audi had a, like a, it was called a smart service plan and it was for cars that were obviously out, out of their service periods. But could you use influencer marketing to sell a service plan? Well, you, yes, you can. Um, and, and, you know, it, the, the journey was, was amazing because you put the brief out and you're going, I'm looking for Audi drivers. So tick one because they're already the brand owner. Yeah. Um, with a vehicle that has mileage of whatever. So they, you know, they write for the, they're the consumer. And obviously, you know, you're looking at people who can create really good content. You know, the, the byproduct of this was that they got to experience the brand because they got, they got given a service plan that nice. lasted for two years. So they got to create content to obviously create that awareness. They got to experience the brand in the dealer and develop content around that. So it was really their own personal personal experience, which they got to speak about on a journey throughout the campaign. Uh, after which we then had, I think we had a, over 140 pieces of content. That, Amazing. Yes, that, I mean, and I'm never going to get that just from an, a normal asset development, you know, if we put a chaser in and get assets. Never, ever, ever. Um, and then we had access to that content for 12 months after that, and we could recraft it which we did for the brand and made more brand type ads to then go you know these are the experiences of these consumers while using the smart service plan so that's what i'm saying like brands need to really consider that because you know we tight on budgets and usually they cut here and cut there um, and production goes and then you can only give us one asset you know it's a real challenge yeah for me it it, it is something to consider long term for for those brands and clients that you know that that require it and I also feel like the variety of content, also the diversity of content, you could never get yeah. from briefing that into production. Hundred percent, exactly that. You know, you're not going to get the same language, the same copy, the same imagery. It's all going to be different, and it's going to keep things fresh. And I love that you guys actually took that option. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it it just makes one piece of content sweat so much harder for for the brand at the end of the day. Yeah, a bit far out, but hey, make it work. I don't think it's far out. I think it's really smart because I also think how many other car brands have thought about using influencers sell service plan, which also makes you stand out from the rest. Yeah, look, um, I hope it, uh, you know, obviously, you know, we, we have to check the numbers, but, you know, the, the, the interest in the content was, was there because we saw improvement in getting traffic to their website to find out more. So hopefully it had it resonated in, in, in sales as well. I hope so. Yeah. So, Bradley, that brings us to the last question of our chat. I really just want you to maybe give us three things marketers should kind of keep in mind when they are considering influencer marketing. Everything starts with a brief. And I have to reiterate, it has to be a detailed brief with as much information as possible because then it cre- it just starts everything off with less confusion so that just guides everything from the start and like i've seen it the more you change once you've put in a brief the 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 less effect you're going to get on on the back end and you're not going to end up with what you started so detailed brief as much information as possible 
vitally important for me, obviously having been exposed to this on, on a few times, is don't try and, and control the creative output too much. Cover the do's and don'ts in the brief so that everyone's clear about what they can and can't do. But please don't try and have absolute sign-off of creative at the end of the day because you need to trust that the, the agency that, that's, that's, that's running this for you and, and, and who, the, who they're working with are, are ensuring that what's getting put out there is above board and, and, and works. But you can create guidelines. Number three, um, for me, which we had obviously alluded to earlier, was if you've got the right rights for the content, I would use that content for uh, continual communication ongoing um, because it's, it sits outside of what looks like brand ads um, and you can repurpose and reuse and eliminate that creative fatigue over a longer period and really maximize and sweat the benefits of what you've already run up front. I think those are excellent pointers for anyone to keep in mind. And I especially love that you put in there, you can't have complete creative control because sometimes, <laughs> you know, how marketers are not understand if they're baby, they want you scripted. And it's like, no, 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 no. We give them the parameters. They know what works for their audiences. Let them do their thing. Can I yep. sign off? But um, we're not going to control what, what they say or do. Yeah. Otherwise, and it also delays the process. It just delays everything. <laughs> like... It does, but it also doesn't resonate with their audience. No, and then you come no. back and you say, why didn't it work? Yeah. And you're like, well, you created an ad. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Bradley, it was so much fun chatting to you. And just thank you for sharing your knowledge with us and years and years of experience. Um, but before we go, maybe tell everyone where they can find you online if they want to know more about you and PhD. Uh, cool. So uh, I don't have a website, um, but you can. I am on LinkedIn, um, and I do tend to put all my, my my sort of media stuff on LinkedIn. So you can just search for me. Uh, I actually can't remember what my handle looks like. Um, okay. uh, if you want to see the more fun side to me, you can check me out on Twitter. Um, a uniquely named handle called a dad called Brad. Yeah, that's where I, I'm not very active on the posting side, but um, I do from time to time share and retweet things that, that I'm following as well. But yeah, LinkedIn and Twitter, probably the, the best uh, platforms for me. Amazing. Thank you so much, Bradley, and hopefully I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, thanks, Anne. Really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, I look forward to um, possibly doing another one sometime. <laughs> Perfect. Look forward to it. Cool. Goodbye. Cheers. Bye. This podcast series has been made possible by The Salt, the influencer company that turns influence into affluence. In the same way that information is presented in this podcast in a relatable and authentic way, The Salt gets your customers to tell their real brand stories to their community. Go to thesalt.co.za to learn more about how The Salt can help you grow your business.